This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Arts Cast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. Komikaela Naimen Toko Ingoa. My name is Mikaela Naimen and I'm your host. Welcome. This show focuses on the arts and creativity in Taranaki and beyond. We aim to cover the diversity of arts from painting, literature, songwriting, theatre, pottery, poetry, sculpture and how the creative arts contribute to our community as well as our own sense of purpose and well-being. The Sugarloafing Artscast is generously supported by the Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Centre. Stay tuned to find out more. Oh, so welcome to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. Uh, today I'm going to talk to ceramic uh, artist and potter Marita Green about her passion and art. But we are also going to talk about something which I think is... Uh, needed for all artists and that's the difficulty of actually pricing your own work and selling it it's something most artists I know struggle with and yet it's kind of you know a necessary business skill that we all need so welcome Marita thank you very much it's great to be here Michaela lovely to have you and I have of course looked into a bit what you have been doing lately and most uh, recently you were part of the arts trail Yes, so that finished earlier in the month. Um, it was held over two weekends. It's mm-hmm. now coinciding with the what used to be the Rhododendron Festival, now the Garden Festival. Um, so yeah, that that's that's a really hectic time. It's a really busy time for me. It's yeah. my, the one time where my studio is open to the public because otherwise I only ever sell through galleries. So. Um, it's an opportunity for me to meet my customers and have an interaction one-on-one with them and also um, a, a really big opportunity for me to sell direct mm. um, otherwise normally there's a commission or a, I sell wholesale to galleries so it's an opportunity for me on that side mm. of things as well. I, I was so looking forward to going on the arts trail and then I got mm. COVID so <laughs> yeah bad timing. Bad timing. Bad timing. <laughs> But at least I have you here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did it go this year compared to um, other years? Good. It's always hard to. It's hard for me to sort of quantify that. I think um, as a potter, um, we're really lucky at the moment because pottery is trendy. It's fashionable. Mm. Apparently, um, I was potting before it got fashionable. So I just keep my head down and do what I've always done. It hasn't changed my practice in any way. But um, people seem to be a lot more aware of it and there's a younger audience purchasing pottery and it's a different kind of pottery that they're purchasing. So that's good. I think for potters this year, we we all experienced a really positive sort of interaction with our buying public, which was great. Um, I actually prepared myself a little bit better this year. Usually (laughs) I leave my preparation a little bit late, so I had more stock. Mm -hmm. So that was great. Um, It took me longer to sell out this time. And so that's usually what happens. Um, And I'm very grateful. I'm very humbled by that. Um, Having said that, you know, as as a business person, I work very hard Mm. to maintain that relationship with an audience. I use Instagram, that's my Mm. um, platform for connecting with my audience. So um, yeah, in between Mm. a bit of extra planning and preparation, I started in about September and I've worked seven days Mm. since September. So my first day off will be my birthday on the 23rd of December, that's always (laughs) how it goes. So that's my holy grail that I hold in front of me. Um, and so some really long hours, but but you know you got to make hay while the sun's shining. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that the idea that you you know you are having your normal business relationship with galleries, but you actually want to meet mm. you know your customers. I'm one mm. of those who goes and uh, I buy cups from people who make them directly. Um, one cup here and yeah. one cup there. Yeah. I love the kind of eclectic collection rather yeah. than buying, you know, ten of the same kind. Or definitely, I think that that I think that shift is happening more across the board. I think 
younger people, certainly the generation below me, and I'm 50, um, don't have that same sort of everything has to match kind of thing that I was raised in, and, um, you know, buying the six... Um, buying the matching set of six cups and making sure you know you don't use dinner plates if they're chipped. <laughs> I think that's all really f- gone by the wayside now, um, and people are really interested in buying um, directly from the maker because they have that experience then with the maker, and mm. that is triggered whenever they either use the item or see the item hanging on the wall. Um, it's it's a reminder, it's a keepsake, it's a memory prompt. Mm. And so um, it's really rich, I think, to be able to connect with your people. And mm. um, I, I was mentored very early on in my creative um, journey by a man named Peter Rouse, who's a, a beautiful um, art blower, uh, glass blower, and he has a gallery in Devonport. And um, he and his wife sort of took me under their wing for some reason I don't know why but some of the advice he gave me was that um, you your customer is buying a piece of you Mm. they're buying you so um, in that sense it's you know I'm very respectful of the relationship I have with my customer Mm. and um, and hopefully some of that humility and respect that I have for them and they're choosing to spend their money with me, mm. um, you know, that comes through in the work as well. Mm. Oh, yeah. absolutely. So you have very functional uh, mm. ceramic uh, items mm. like cups and tumblers mm. and bowls, which are beautiful. But each one of those is still able to tell a story through mm. the form you've yeah. given them, the colours, yeah. how you have glazed them and yeah. so forth. Can you talk a bit about that? Definitely. Um, so... My creative journey started in, probably started in jewellery and then as an interest, just as an interest, and that was how I met the Rouses, um, and then morphed into more textiles. I was very interested in fibre, um, and then um, I discovered clay again, um, and there was no turning back from clay, but I realised once our young children hit school age that I would either have to go back to work morally and financially, mm. I would have to bring an income in one way or another, and that was um, at that time I was sculpting in clay, mm. um, hand building sculpture, and um, it wasn't it wasn't a financially viable um, direction. Mm. I, that's the assessment I made at that time. So I felt that wheel throwing was a much more efficient way of producing a product that was more saleable. So cups as a gift item, you know, you're looking at $40, $60 mm. um, today. That Not when I started, things were a bit priced a bit different. But that's your gift. Mm. You know, that's a, I'll, I'll buy you a, a birthday mm. gift as a friend. And um, so I made a conscious decision at that time to stop hand building and sculpting and to start making functional wear because mm. of its saleability, mm. because I wanted to keep practicing as as a ceramic artist. Mm. I didn't want to go out of the house and get another job. I just was mm. really obsessed with clay. I was just going to ask that. that was, was that an option ever to uh, have a day job? And Well, I, absolutely. And, mm. you know, my previous career was in the Navy as a naval officer and um, I'm, I love to work, um, so uh, definitely. But I did feel a strong moral responsibility um, as a mm. member of the family that I had to pull my financial weight. So that was that was why I ended up making functional wear. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. And mm. and also the combination that you've done um, so many things. I knew about the fibre art, mm. and you are an award-winning fibre artist too. Well, so. yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was quite a few years ago now, yeah. but definitely, yeah. But I also saw that you were tutoring this year yeah. at um, the Fibre Ed. Uh, yes. You ran some workshops which yeah. were actually about... Um, this Japanese way of mending yeah. clothes and other things. Sashiko, it's called yeah. Sashiko. And um, there's been a real, um, I think, an interest in everything handmade and also um, sustainability, repairing things, longevity. Um, there's a lot of uh, planned obsolescence in the objects that we purchase every day from big box 
um, department stores. And uh, I think there is a, a pushback, certainly online and um, maybe not quite so mainstream, but um, there is pushback as people realise what we're doing to the planet and decide that they want to make more ethical choices. So, mm. um, so again, um, based on my own interest in textiles and um, stitching, I've done a lot of um, dyeing and I spin wool and I've knit and all sorts of things like that. Um, you know, I thought, what what are some some techniques or some practical things that I can then market to a group? that is, is then useful and that we can incorporate in our daily lives. Mm. Um, so it's not just a matter of, uh, this is an interest and I want to do a workshop that follows my interest. This is something that we can then incorporate practically mm. into our daily lives. And Sashiko is, is Japanese. I'm not Japanese, so I'm very aware when I'm teaching it that I am by no means an authority on the subject. Um, so I definitely emphasize that um, it's an insp- sashiko inspired um, method what, that I'm teaching, um, but it does open people's minds to um, historically sashiko was was a practical necessity for mm. the Japanese people when they were um, out in the fields working in winter and they had to weave every piece of fabric and they had to stitch every item of clothing themselves. So it was a method of sustaining those really precious resources of clothing mm. um, through a lot of hard work. They, those clothes would get a real hard time. And often, you know, the jackets may be passed down even between generations. Mm. So uh, the the theory behind that, knowing that, and then being able to impart that and teach that as a part of the workshop, you know, that makes it really valuable. I think it's much more valuable than just a pastime. So how does it? Uh, how is it different from just mending and looking after your clothes? Then is um, it that uh, you accept that it's mended as well? Yes. So you don't you don't try and hide the fact that it's had a life, which is the concept of wabi sabi. Yes, I love so, that. Yeah. So you don't try and hide that it's had a use. Um, the the idea is that its use has enriched it. Yep. So it carries um, it carries the story. Yeah. of its life and if it's yours if it's my pair of jeans it's the story of my life it may be somebody else's pair of jeans if I get it from the op shop and then you know whatever I resolve that energy as well um, and make it mine through the stitching and mm. um, the stitching itself is very simple but it's very very beautiful mm. um, and uh, yeah I just think it slots really nicely into my own personal ethos mm. well lovely On that note, let's take a music break and you have chosen some music that goes uh, with your work. So mm. here we have Lee Scratch Perry, Heavy Voodoo. And what? why did you choose this one? Um, I, well, I like the song. It, it pleases my ear. So, and that's pretty much the most important thing for me when listening to music does it please my ear. Um, I don't like to be heavily challenged when I'm working in the studio. I like things that um, meet me where I'm at, so I don't want anything too challenging. Um, I discovered Lee Scratch Perry probably a couple of years ago, and the album that this is from, Lee came, Lee saw, Lee uh, conquered, I'm not quite sure Mm. um, of the album name, but um, it really opened my mind to... um, artist authenticity and truth Mm. Um, I think he's an amazing he was an amazing practitioner of um, uh, expressing his own truth through Mm -hmm. his art and uh, the fact that he was such an innovator um, and such a social voice um, I don't know that wasn't ever probably on his agenda Mm. I think he was just being absolutely true to himself And the innovation and freedom in in the song is just really inspirational to me. Mm. Let's listen to Lee Scratch Perry. <laughs> Get ready, Steve. One dollar club. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Heavy voodoo. 
Heavy Voodoo. Heavy Voodoo. International Voodoo. Heavy Voodoo. Heavy Voodoo. Heavy Voodoo. Come. Heavy Voodoo. Heavy Voodoo. Heavy Voodoo. Come. Welcome back to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Artscast and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. We are grateful to Govette Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lies Center for sponsoring the show. And today I'm here with uh, multiple artists, <laughs> Marita Green, who is a ceramicist, has a past as a, a fiber artist in jewelry, yes, and sculptor. 
I'm just a bit in awe. But we have just listened to Lee Scratch Perry, and this actually has a connection to your some of your current work. Yeah, so oftentimes I find in my work, because I, um, I always listen to music when I'm working, um, I work alone, and I have done for 10 years, and um, music's just a really important part of getting me in that creative space, I suppose, or or oftentimes what I'm doing is extremely mundane. I will repeat, you know, making a handle, you know, dozens of times. <laughs> so it's, it's a way to get through those um, sort of more manual or repetitive tasks. And... Um, Oftentimes I I just will get obsessed with an album and thrash it until mm. it, it just sort of lives in my veins for weeks or, or a period and it just whatever album that might be, it resonates with what I'm working mm. on in that time or what I'm thinking of. And my year typically has, has a rhythm of its own from halfway through the year to the back end of the year, which is where we are now. I'm preparing for the arts trail or I'm preparing for Christmas. So I'm very production focused and I'm all about getting as much work and as much um, set design work out the door as I possibly can. The, f- the front end of the year is a little bit quieter for me and I'm much more about R&D. So um, that's follow my heart kind of stuff what are the curious, interesting things that presented themselves earlier that, that, that I might not have had the time to explore in the studio. So um, oftentimes a body of work or a show, um, an exhibition style body of work will come together in that first six months mm. because I have the time to explore it. And um, the the most recent, um, my most recent cohesive body of work, which is currently at Kinnett's called Don't Look Now, um, came out, I finished that in about June or July this year, and it was set to Lee Scratch Perry, that mm. particular album. So you'll see in the work, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of bright colour. There's a lot going on. There are repeated motifs, which um, Lee Scratch Perry is well known for his sampling and his. Um, uh, so you'll see those those common. Um, he'll take a, a, a motif and and sort of wrap on it mm. or, or yeah. uh, develop it and mo- it will move through. Mm. And um, that's definitely the body of work up, that's up at Kinner at the mm. moment. You'll see um, various icons or aspects mm. that move through the body of work. I've yeah. seen your work. Uh, I actually have, yeah, I've loved some of your previous uh, larger work. Uh, mm. But uh, I have to go back now that I've listened to it and actually yeah. look at it again. And uh, you also have um, sampled some of the lyrics from example, I, yeah, Amy I Winehouse and yeah, others. Yeah, lyri- the lyrics, lyrics get stuck in my head, um, particularly if um, Kaboom, for example, is is a lyric that w- is on the um, the current body of work at Kinna um, from Lee Scratch Perry. Um, it just, I think, if you if you really immerse yourself in music, you really can feel you feel a lot of things in the lyrics, not just the mm. music. Um, and Kaboom, it just says so much in such a, just a little tiny wee snippet. Um, and uh, one of the Amy uh, Amy Winehouse's album, I, I mean, I, I'm a recovering alcoholic myself. Mm. Um, so to um, Back to Black, is it was a real sort mm. of pivotal album for me when I was sort of in my early recovery. Um, and she's just so pithy and mm. so honest, and she's so hard on herself. And those things, um, they really, they spoke to me then, they speak to me now. Mm. Um, and Yeah, that album is just amazing. It is. Yeah. And the line, what, what kind of fuckery is this? Um, I, I do use swear words um, in my work and in my expression, but not for the sake of it it's just a tool of expression and Amy in that song uses what kind of fuckery is this she sort of made up this word fuckery but we all understand it Um, it's very colloquial and um, it's tongue-in-cheek but it's tragic as well as Mm. being funny and I think that really epitomizes Amy 
and it's something that I can really relate to too because I often hide behind humour mm. um, and we all hide behind humour, hide our pain behind humour. Um, and so it's sort of an ode to Amy, really. Mm. What kind of fuckery is this? And again, that line is, is she riffs on that line throughout the song. It, mm. it, it changes, you know, what kind of fuckery are we? Mm. Um, what kind of mm. fuckery are you, you know? Mm. And, um, yeah. No, amazing. So, but your whole whole family actually seems to be very much um, arty and crafty. And so your husband is a knife maker. He's a knife maker. He is. He has a real job, a day job, thank goodness, because otherwise we'd all be starving. Um, but he is a knife maker on the weekends. And I think if you, um, you know, for me, I'm self-taught and I didn't come from a family of artists. I'm first generation from Dutch immigrants and um, it was all about work yes and and there was no way I was ever going to take art at school let alone be an artist because you can never earn any money making um, being an artist and that's kind of true um, <laughs> but um, so I don't come from from this um, environment of creativity in the sense that it was all around me although it was very much in me um, and I think the own my own expression of of how I practice my art or my creativity, I think, in all aspects of life, whatever, however we um, whatever we manifesting, we give license to other people to manifest that as well. So, um, if Mum's out in the studio making clay pots, then the kids are going to wander out and they're going to have a go at making mm. clay pots too. And then Aaron's going to be like, well, she's in there making something. You know, I've always been interested in making this, that or the other. And so we've, you know, we've all just sort of given each other license to mm. explore and have fun. And um, and knife making is what he's good at. Mm. I could not for the life of me make mm. a knife like he mm. makes it because mm. it requires an entirely different skill set and mindset. Mm. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he's... Yeah, I thought that was beautiful, but mm. um, it was very funny because uh, when uh, we had twins, one mm. of the presents I gave to my partner to get him out of the house and, you know, be allowed to do something more creative was a knife making course at wow. the Learning Connection in um, Wellington. And it was okay. um, Burner, yeah, who had uh, go and get a spring from a car yeah, and yeah. then you start yeah, you know yeah. making ha hammering it yeah and, hammering and, it and making and, yeah. yeah we still have a very beautiful knife yeah it's yeah. made from a spring from a car definitely so Aaron started when he started making um he used um old files Oh. So, um, particularly the English steel, um, Chinese steel is not so good anymore, but the old English files that you could get at the op shop um, have got good, really good quality steel, tall steel. Mm. So that's how he started. Oh. Yeah, and he, he purchases his steel plate in now, but um, he, he definitely started with basically upcycling. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Yep upcycling and reuse and we'll come back to that but I think um, that sustainability element yeah. is in everything you do by it the sense of it so it definitely yeah. is and so uh, Betty Davis not Betty Davis no. but Betty Davis Betty with a Y why yeah. yeah don't call her no tramp where yeah. does that fit into your so, practice um, I only discovered Betty Davis this is a very recent musical discovery for me oh um, so um and uh, thank you Spotify for suggesting <laughs> Betty Davis um, and because I was going through like a sort of 1970s funk period in my listening and um, she came up and I looked on my Spotify screen and it's Betty Davis and I saw the album cover and I'm like she's either really contemporary I couldn't tell I couldn't position her in time I couldn't tell if this was a throwback track to 1970-something or if this had been released yesterday. It, I, I honestly, it, it, she mystified me because her, she, she was just, she just sort of grabbed me. If mm. I was a male, I would say she grabbed me by my... Mm. 
but I don't have those. <laughs> but um, she just, I was, it was like, and I said to my friend who's who's into music, uh, I said to her, it's like my life was is being divided into two. There's BC before, or well, BB before Betty, and AD after AB after Betty. Oh, wow. You know, before and after, because she, I think she just was like, she's just so fierce. And so ahead of her time, and so um, authentic and progressive and musically insane. I just, she just blew me away completely. Mm. And and you know, to answer my own question, I was listening to a track from 1971. Mm. You know, wow. and that's my birth year. Wow. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell that from listening to it. I had to research mm. that. So I think, you know, there are themes that she was singing about in 1971 that are still very, very current today. Mm. And part of me is like, man, we haven't made any progress. Um, But part of me is like, wow, she was just an amazing artist. Mm. And ahead of her time. Absolutely. So ahead of her time. Mm. And also an embodiment of her art. So she was also a model and uh, a black woman, and she had studied um, design and fashion. And so she was a real icon. Mm. Um, she lived and breathed style. Mm. Um, and, it, yeah, she just wow. really inspired me. Let's uh, listen to Betty Davis with uh, Why. Don't call her no tramp.
Welcome back to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Artscast and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. Thanks to Govette Brewster Art Gallery and Lenlai Center for sponsoring the show. And today I'm in the studio with Marita Green and we are talking about uh, ceramics and uh, all kinds of uh, style icons and interesting music from the 70s and what's contemporary and not and also sustainability. And I think this is something then that we all need to get better at, but you seem to be practicing it with a, in a lot of ways. We have talked about mending, mm. um, making something new again, really, mm. uh, fashionable, even though it has been worn maybe in a couple of generations already. Uh, but the reason I got in touch with you was actually because I saw this little post on social media where you said, when buying from an artist maker, you are buying more than just an object. You are buying hundreds of hours of failures and experimentation. You are buying days, weeks and months of frustration and moments of pure joy. You aren't just buying a thing. You're buying a piece of heart, part of a soul, a moment of someone's life. Most importantly, you're buying the artist more time to do something they are passionate about. Mm. And I can't, wow. I can't claim those words. I can't claim those words. I didn't write those words. I've tried to find the source, the original source, but I, I did acknowledge the source in the post, um, which was which was from another ceramicist overseas. Um, they didn't write it either. Mm. So who knows who wrote it? But I just thought but they were really true. beautiful words. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't put it any better myself. Mm. Mm. And so. Let's talk about the business of art then. Mm. How do you price <laughs> your work? Because, you know, you've yeah. managed to make a very business-minded decision about continuing with your passion, but in a way and form that mm. uh, makes it financially sustainable wow. and viable. Mm. So you can actually provide for your family. Mm. What is your advice to someone then starting out? Well, there, there are a couple of there are lots of methods there are lots of formulae um the best um and i'll discuss this very briefly because it's quite complex basically you figure out how much how many pieces you can produce say in a week that's my uh, little time slot that i work on how many can i produce um and make from start to finish and sell okay so um, in a week if that's 40 hours and I can make just for argument's sake 40 pieces and I need to earn whatever a thousand dollars that week or eight hundred dollars that week then what do I need to charge so I divide that and that um, or that gives me I divide my my uh, weekly wage by the number of units and that will give me what I need to sell that unit for, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So what happens then when, um, mm. you know, all the uh, materials, mm. the costs mm. of various so, things eat up that? Right. So that you need to be fairly good at... Um, having a realistic accounting head on your shoulders to figure all of your costs out and obviously there are things like overheads there are a lot of overheads in, in my business there's a lot of equipment there's space um, so that's um, I have a sense of that because I've done it for so long I have a sense of what I have to shoot for um, per week to make it work um, the other method, which is another very realistic method, is if I'm selling a cup, what are the other what are the other potters selling their cups for? And um, that often doesn't account for your time. It um, it just sets you um, alongside what everyone else is doing. So. Um, for me, I found that a consumer will pay up to a certain amount, say for a cup, um, if it's marketed well and it's got a kick-ass design. I just said that word. Um, if it's got a good, really good design, um, you know, obviously you can charge a premium. If you've got a brand, you can charge a premium. 
Um, it's, it's certainly an imperfect calculation because I take all of those things into account. Mm. But you also seem to deliver to a number of galleries. And so how did you arrive at, in the beginning, it must have mm. been a fairly small uh, output. Mm. And then mm. you come up against, you're still just one person, mm. right? Mm. You still have to yeah. do and deliver, and then you're branching out and targeting more galleries because there are only so many cups mm. I can have in my right. cupboard. Right. So the thing is, uh, for me, um, for a long life as a maker, um, is innovation and constantly changing design. Now, I know a lot of potters are doing similar things to what they have been doing for quite a while. That's just not my model because I'm not made that way. And I certainly don't fault that in any way. It's just not the way I'm wired. So for me, I like newness and change. So I will have the same customers coming back, but they'll be buying different things. So you can either have different customers buying the same things or the same customers buying mm. different things. Um, so that's what I do. Also, yeah, at the start, obviously, my, my business grew organically and very, very slowly. Um, I have had employees over the, you know, in the past. I've found that um, that didn't work for me and mm. in, in my practice. Um, I have to keep it small. But there, there is a physical limit as to the yeah. number of pieces that I can make. So the only way I can make more money is... If I can't physically make more pots, I have to be able to charge more per unit or I have to be able to make that pot faster. Mm. And my work is very labour intensive because I have very complex surfaces mm. and and that sets my work aside from mm. pretty much every other potter in the country. Mm. I don't just make the pot and glaze it. So mm. um, there, I have some very complex... Um, things happening on the surfaces of the pots which are very labour intensive um, it means that I do have consistent sales because my work is unusual and that mm. it's not the normal um, but it means that my per unit you know my hourly rate is pretty abysmal mm. I think uh, <laughs> yeah one of the pieces I actually bought as a gift years ago for a friend I think was something that could best be described as either a vase mm-hmm. with uh, leather straps or yeah. some sort of ceramic basket with yeah. leather straps yeah I remember those yeah and I loved it and it was a bit you know Wonky. yes yeah it, it was, was hand built actually yeah, yeah I figured yeah. it was but I thought oh this is a huge risk because I wanted to thank someone who yeah. had uh, housed me whenever yeah. I'd been in Wellington and I thought either they love it as much as I do I yeah. wish I could keep it or it will go into the back of the cupboard and they will wonder, what yeah. the heck was she thinking? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's always a risk, risk too, as an artist. You know, a lot of my work, um, my best-selling work um, does, uh, it appeals to a, quite a narrow audience mm. um, because it has, well, it's getting a wider audience, but I do use swear words and I'm a little bit cheeky on, on some of my work. So you either like it or you don't. And I think as an artist, that's a risk you have to be willing to take. Mm. My Always my best-selling work is coming from a place where I'm having a moment and I express myself very personally on a pot. And oftentimes that'll be that magic moment where you get the pot out of the out of the kiln and you're like, wow, that, that works. And you show it to somebody and they're like, wow, that's really cool. Can you make me one? And that's mm. then that ball starts rolling. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of conscious thought and decision-making, but there's also a lot of intuition. Mm, absolutely. With all art, I believe. And you mm. learn to trust your gut feeling. Mm. Or you learn from your mistakes. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's where your gut le- yeah. learns from. So let's uh, listen to this song, which is, um, you know, Black Seeds. Yeah. They are quite famous. It's so real. But you have taught with Well, I teach recently. ceramics. I mm. teach ceramics up at Spotswood High School, which is 
awesome. They actually teach ceramics as a class. It's not part of general art. I'm so envious. Yeah, it's a ceramics class. So uh, two hours a week, there are 50 uh, 13 and 14-year-olds, and uh, it's complete chaos. Yeah. Yeah, and we culled it. It seems like every single child in the junior school has either done ceramics or will be doing ceramics. Um, <laughs> and But it's heaps of fun, and um, sometimes I'm not a trained teacher, so I'm there as a, as a consultant, if you want, um, um, but I help them with all the technical aspects, and so there are two teachers who are trained teachers. Um, and if one of those is away, we get a substitute teacher, and that's how I met Matt. And so we were merrily talking about pottery, and he's bought my pottery in the past. And then I asked him what he did for a job, and he said, oh, he played saxophone for the Black Seeds. So I felt a little bit embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but um, we had a really nice time, and he's an epic teacher. He's a really great teacher. And... Um, yeah, the reason I included this song is because I think as an artist, like, I consider the Black Seeds to be um, successful. And um, I have a lot of respect for their music and what they do and how they've done it and over the period of time that they've done it for. But Matt still substitute teachers. Mm, amazing. And and amazing and, and kind of tragic in, in the reality of yep. that I would love to think that Matt could be an uber rock star yep. and just go home, put his feet up and I don't know, drink martinis or whatever rock stars do, but he doesn't, he comes home when he's not touring and substitute teaches at Spotswood so it makes it, it's great for the people at Spotswood and the kids at Spotswood, they're super lucky but I think that is a real testimony to arts and what that means to be a a uh, working artist in mm. the country of Aotearoa is that we do have to have um, a, a, another gig or we yep. have to have another source of income because uh, we can't, it's very difficult to live off of our art. Yep, it absolutely is. No, reality check. Yeah. So thank you, Matt. Shout out, Matt. Shout out for you. And this is It's So Real by yeah. Black Seeds. Take my time when I can, and you on a dime, hatching a plan at your will. It's not the way that you move, all that I love. You bring me in far above, just what I need. You can feel me on, I hear trains come. Someone who 
Welcome back to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Arts Cast, and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. We are grateful to Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Lenlai Center for sponsoring this show. And today I'm talking uh, all things arty with uh, Marita Green, who is an amazing potter and also a fiber artist, has had uh, jewelry and sculpture in her bag from before. And we are talking about the difficulty of actually sustaining our arts practice. And being a writer, I'm Mm. uh, constantly on the lookout for Mm. other work, side hustles, hundreds of hustles, small contracts, and then every now and again this big award or stipend that you manage to land, which buys you time, because that's what it is all about. And that's when you find the energy and headspace to experiment because you don't need to put together another contract or pitch or whatever it is yeah yeah how are we going to come out of this big economy i don't know i really do not know what the answer is um i think in looking at my own um career pathway um as a mother as um my art practice and business evolved around looking after my family and I think for a lot of women um, well we're underpaid anyway but Mm. um, fitting work in around family um, it's just as old as Adam and Eve probably Um, so for me that that worked when I when we accounted and I use that in inverted commas when we accounted for the fact that we never purchased childcare because I was always home and um, we decided as a family that that's the way we would like to raise our children um, you know there are a lot of intangibles that I've been able to provide for my family because I'm self-employed mm. and I have flexible working hours um, I love that intangible because that yeah. is so true. There are the hidden things Absolutely. that you otherwise would need to. And they're actually get from a luxury. Mm. They're a luxury, and and I, hand on heart, I know that it's because we are privileged. My family is privileged in that my husband earns a wage that can sustain us, and um, the way we live then is luxurious. And most people will not have that choice. And I fully acknowledge that um, and that is something that I you know I wrestle with um, you know it's a luxury that I get to be an artist because a lot of families uh, absolutely have to have two significant incomes mm. to mm. to sustain them and of course in the provinces the wages are salaries are so much lower than if you're in the urban cities big cities yeah. Um, yeah. but the cost of living is not lower no no, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, how we um, marry those two things. Um, I, I really have no idea. And and also now as I'm facing our children are teenagers, our eldest has one more year at high school. Um, so those intangible um, returns from my uh, professional, from my work, um, they're going to be out the door when my children turn 18. Then, uh, you know, I have to face that question again, is what I'm doing because I'm um, I'm personally quite, feel quite responsible, um, is what I'm doing, is that morally right or am I just being an indulgent, mm. ego-driven, oh. self-possessed, artist you know so I mean I could definitely earn more money stocking shelves at the warehouse Mm. but don't you think that there is something the value of making the art and the art itself that you put out that provides both functional and uh, you know enjoyment for I think that I have asked myself that question many a time. I get joy from your art. Right, but I it does still feel quite indulgent. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it does to me feel like I am indulging myself. 
um, under the guise of bringing you joy. But you are I mean, also teaching, so you are sharing yeah, right. the skills you have acquired. And, exactly. And so I have always, I've always, uh, that was the way we were raised too. I've always really made an, a point of trying to give back. Mm, so me too. as an yeah. artist, you know, I've taught from kindergarten in the children's classes all the way through um, to high school, countless volunteer hours. Um, we've, I've always tried to contribute back mm. um, as a way of sort of tithing, for a want of a better word, um, but as just a way of, um, I think we need to do that mm. as a community mm. and share what we have. Although it's hard these days to actually be accepted and allowed into schools, even though you are an expert in your own field. Um, I can't even teach creative writing, although I'm a published writer, because I'm not a teacher. And, right. you know, it's kind right. of like those barriers sometimes feel really unnecessary under the current circumstances in a current world. Definitely. Making a sustainable living locally should be. It should be easier yeah. than it is. Definitely. And and even the hoops you have to, I've never um, received any funding of uh, of it's just not the route that I've gone down mm. but I have been party to say um, applying for funding for a kiln for mm. example and the hoops you have to jump through I understand why they're there but it is quite a, a process or a palaver to to get to that point can where you can weeks out of your life to yeah apply. exactly mm. just to get that application going um, yeah, I'm I'm very lucky at um, Spotswood in that they're very open and they have a very broad curriculum and a very um, open um, view of learning, which mm. is very unusual. Yep. So, mm. uh, and I acknowledge that and I'm very grateful mm. for that. Yeah. So, just to wrap up, uh, where can people find you and your work? So um, Instagram is the best place to find me. That's got all the fun stuff, all the eye candy pictures are on Instagram, Marita Green um, on Instagram. Give me a follow. If you see anything that you like, just flick me a, a message. Um, I don't have a website. I, I, I can't seem to maintain one well. Um, so just ask, send me a, a message and just ask me, have you got any of this in stock? And I'll I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Otherwise, Kinner's my local stockist here in New Plymouth, and there are ten other galleries around the country. So if you're listening and you're not in Taranaki, just flick me a DM and I'll tell you locus, local stockist. Thank you so much, yeah. and uh, good luck with everything Thank for the wrap so up of the year. And yeah. Uh, yeah, guys out there listening, get us planned and uh, focused as Marita mm. and you know you might mm. yeah. get your art year and it's a um, hustle, hustle yeah get your hustle shape. on yeah. all right thank you so much yeah thanks Michaela appreciate it thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sugarloafing Arts Cast on 104.4 FM my name is Michaela Nyman and you can contact me with feedback and ideas for shows at Access Radio Taranaki or email me on community at accessradiotaranaki.com. You can check out the artists, guests and their fabulous work on our Sugarloafing Facebook page and Instagram. To listen to previous episodes of the show, go to accessradiotaranaki.com and search us up under current shows. The Sugarloafing Artscast was made possible with the support of Govet Brewster Art Gallery and the Len Lai Centre. Until next week. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.